Welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast from the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Each month, we'll bring you conversations with thought leaders in transportation on the future of the industry. For joining us for another episode of the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast. I'm your host, Bernie Wagenblast. When it comes to transportation, one image that comes to mind concerning the Netherlands is biking. In the nation as a whole, a European Commission report said biking was the second most common mode of transport, comprising 27% of all trips. In cities, that figure approaches up to 70% of all journeys. Why is that? Our guest on this episode of ITE Talks Transportation is Bas Hovers, who handles international business development for Hördappel. Bas, welcome to ITE Talks Transportation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're in the Netherlands right now, but not that long ago, you were in Portland, Oregon, where ITE was holding their annual meeting. And while you were there at the annual meeting, you were part of a plenary panel titled Creating People-Oriented Communities. Now. When you were part of that panel, you talked about putting the user first when thinking about design. Give us, if you would, some, some examples of how this user-oriented design plays out when it comes to infrastructure decisions in the Netherlands, if you would, please. I think there's two items I want to highlight. And one of the items, and there was a lot of debate in the IT conference as well, is what we call forgiving infrastructure, forgiving design. That means as a human, you make mistakes and the design should be in a way that if you make mistakes, the impact of your mistake won't be uh, large. So the design, and for that we have three principles and the, they, these are part of what we call uh, sustainable uh, safety design. So it, it takes the user as a start point and it says, okay, when a user makes a fault, it shouldn't be uh, too heavy. So, for example, the design already uh, separates different speeds. The design already separates different masses, like cars and bikes, for example. And the design separates different directions. So, if people are coming from uh, with a car from different directions, for example, at a roundabout, you can see the, the impact of a clash won't be that hard since they are already oriented in the same direction. For example, with uh, the speeds, we say we can mix cars and, and, and bicycles. We don't need separated path if the speeds are low and it is impossible to have high speeds uh, since you, uh, we have these this bumps uh, and other things to start to, to slow down the traffic. So these are all things that start from the human perspective. Another example I talked about in Portland is you know, what, what we call dare, able, and invite. So you can have some little bit of cycling infrastructure, but it is not complete. Uh, so at crossings, you're, you're still left on your own or, or you're, you're confronted with higher speeds, etc. This is not safe. So the only people that will use it are the ones who dare to cycle. And we have a next level, which is able to cycle. That means that, okay, it's relatively safe. It's constant. The basic infrastructures are there, but the environment is not inviting at all. You're really confronted with high speeds for cars or other elements. So you're just 
one of the users in the public space. And the more inviting design is when people feel welcome. So they feel like I am really welcome with my bicycle or walking. And in that case, when people feel a sense of comfort and a sense of experience, so they experience uh, more, they, they are really satisfied and uh, relaxed. So you can really relax on that infrastructure. And this uh, has a very important element, and that is time awareness. So people who feel stressed, they have the sense that things take longer time. When they feel relaxed, they think time is shorter. So it is very important in our design that users feel a sense of comfort, because in that way, they feel like it is uh, more proximate. They spend less time in it. So this all starts with uh, the human experience of your design. And it goes in the public transport or in the, the station areas the same way because it's the same public. And we Dutch are the same people as uh, you American are. So I really think these are kind of principles that are valued in the U.S. as well. Before we started recording the podcast, I was chatting with you a little bit about the bicycling culture in the Netherlands. And I think a lot of Americans have this misconception that the Netherlands has always been bike friendly, pedestrian friendly and such, but that's not really the case. It's been a transition over the past 50 years or so. Tell us a bit about what have been some of the keys to that change to make Holland more inviting to both bicyclists and pedestrians, please. I mentioned at the conference as well that, that it kind of intrigues me, the, all the, on the internet and the films you see about Amsterdam and Utrecht and uh, being a kind of cycling paradise. So it must be uh, that you have the impression that we Dutch are a different kind of species who just like cycling and you don't. Uh, uh, but that's not the case. Like I said, we are the same human species. Mm -hmm. We're just living in different urban environments. And uh, I talked about uh, in Amsterdam, for example, the highway, there is in six, seven directions, a highway which has been enlarged uh, in the uh, past decade. So we're really loving cars as well. But in the, in the cities, there came a change. And I, I talked about our founder, Henk Gautappel. He came back from the US in the 60s as an urban designer and saw mass motorization coming up and the impact it has on the cities. And at that time, also in the Netherlands, there was a lot of planning of large urban breakthroughs to create the kind of larger boulevards to the city center where the economic development was. And a lot of those plans, they have been made. So in Utrecht, for example, it has been made. Uh, there was a four-lane highway right to the city center and a whole station area and a whole canal that which was taken away to get the car in. In Rotterdam, there was a four-lane highway just before running before the station area. So there was a, a lot of those plans have been made in the 70s, for example. But then resistance came up because not only was it kind of destroying the historic cities, so people didn't feel comfortable about that, but the most important thing was that the safety in the cities was really a danger. So there was a lot of people uh, have being victims of the cars, the, the more important role of cars in the, in the cities. And 
In the 70s, there grew these resistance groups, and they called themselves Stop the, Mur- the Killing of Children, Stop the Kindermoord in Dutch. And uh, they had a lot of influence, and there were protest- uh, protests against further uh, the, the role of the car in the, in the cities. And that kind of changed the attitude towards the car in the cities. Uh, so uh, the destruction of these historic cities and, and environments combined with this safety concern, especially for children. And then I think a a, a rather special element of the Dutch situation is that we always have had to plan a lot. So we we have a planning tradition, which is quite strong. So we started planning for the cars. And that means that we not only uh, introduced new roads, but thought, what does this road need to be there? Uh, can the same function be taken over by uh, another net- network? And it appeared that the highway networks are the most safe for cars, uh, of course, because there is the same speeds, the same masses, and the same direction. So mm-hmm. in terms of, of safety, we started kind of pushing the car uh, to the highway networks and creating space in the cities for other uses, for a bicycle, for public transit. And I think this is a kind of art, as I, am, as I may say so, which we have taken to the maximum level since we don't have that much space. So we need absolutely to get the most out of the space available. I think this, this is what, what happened a little bit in our field. And when people ask me, why are there so many bicycles in the Netherlands? Okay, it might be a little bit part of the culture as well. There used to be uh, bicycles uh, a lot, but in China, there are lots of bicycles and in Vietnam also. So there is, it's quite of economic development, uh, which takes place. But one of the main reasons is this system of sustainable safety, uh, which was introduced. So it was... I think another very important topic is that we kind of kept the local services. So the hypermarkets and the the large developments in that field, they were not, and we see them in in our surrounding countries a lot as well, but in the Netherlands, we, we always wanted to keep the local services accessible by bike. We prohibited uh, the development of large commercial areas and only f- like really car oriented, like IKEA or, or, or this, this run shopping centers. But the, the normal daily care was still very accessible by bike. And a, a third important element is the urban planning. So if we planned for new urban developments, but in a way that the basic necessities are still very reachable for users. So, so basic schools, uh, basic healthcare, basic uh, service centers, uh, shopping centers. And in that way, we could say you can always go there by bike and we need at least four or 5,000 uh, houses to have an, at least a, a minimum service level for these local services. So this is, it's not only transportation planning, that's, that's actually what I'm trying to say. It's a lot about mobility planning and, and urban planning as well, combined. We'll hear more about mobility planning in the Netherlands right after this message. 
Do you want to reach more than 17,000 transportation professionals? Podcasts like this one are a great way to reach a dedicated audience of listeners. Sponsoring an ITE podcast is a cost-effective way to gain exposure and build brand awareness. ITE offers podcasts on key issues like safety, connected and automated vehicles, and transportation management systems and operations, ensuring your message is heard by the right people. For more information, contact Jill Andrew at the Wyman Company. Her email is J-A-N-D-R-E-U at the Wyman Company, W-Y-M-A-N dot com. You talked just a moment ago about space, physical space, and that's often been used as an argument here in the United States that we don't have the physical space to do more so that we can accommodate pedestrians and bicyclists. Obviously, the United States is a very big country compared to the Netherlands. You talked about how space was carved out. Tell me a little bit more about how in the Netherlands you deal with that issue of finding space, making space for pedestrians and cyclists. <laughs> I'm looking at your cities and I'm jealous at the, the space you have, as you can imagine. This is absolutely something we don't have. And so hearing the discussions about there's not enough space for bicycles or pedestrians, I think this can't be true. There is so much space. In our discussions, we say we don't have that much space, so we need to get as much people as we can on uh, walking or cycling, because cars, they are taking too much space. So this is the other way around. We, we just say we have a lack of space. We need more people to cycle and more people are walking in order to get less car space needed. Like I said, we started to push cars to the highways. This was basically originally more a safety issue. But it is also a very space efficient issue because there is a lot more cars which can use these higher hierarchies than, than that can be handled into the, the lower categories of cities and streets. So what we actually do to a high extent is not only thinking about a hierarchy of the network, but also thinking of the routing of the network. So how should cars run from A to B? in order for them to be as long as possible on the higher uh, ranks and the more safe elements of our infrastructure in order to have the least car as possible on the lower ranks. And I often see in US situations having these grids that gives a lot of possibilities to go with routing in your network. In the end, it's cost a lot of space. We don't have that. So by choosing very strongly which route should be taken uh, by the cars, we also say, on the other hand, so this route, the only traffic we need to accommodate here is destination traffic, for example, this street or this neighborhood. And this is a traffic which don't need higher speeds, which is a high intensity, which can be easily mixed with uh, other uses, but it doesn't need priority as well. This is a very important element. And of course, in the inner cities, where the pressure on the space is even higher, we are developing strategies to guide the car. The car is welcome in the intercity. So this is, uh, we always said accessibility is, is very important, uh, also for the economic vitality, etc. But 
coming from the highway, we said you need to pick this exit and you go directly into a parking garage. And from there on, you're, you walk your last mile into the inner, inner city. And we found out people, people are very willing to do that. And they even might feel uh, the place is better accessible since it's clear what kind of behavior should be expected. And the parking garage are very welcoming. They are very well designed. We keep them out of the out of the public space. So limiting street parking, uh, for example, in the inner cities, when they don't accommodate uh, through traffic through the inner cities. We give as much priority as possible to cyclists and pedestrians in the inner cities. And there might be cars, but as low as possible and low intensities, low speeds. So we don't need 10 feet wide lanes in the city centers. We use different materials, for example, for cars to make it obvious that they are guests in that public space. So we divide the city into different zones. So the principles I talked about, it's what we call the A zone. In the B zone, it's equal. So priorities are, are, are more equal. And in the C zones, structures are really separated. So we have separated structures for cars, for public transit and for uh, bikes. One of the things I think that's wonderful about a meeting like the ITE annual meeting or a podcast like this is that we get to share ideas. From your perspective, are there some transportation lessons that you believe the United States can learn from Europe? And on the flip side of that, are there lessons from the United States in North America that you think could be applied in Europe? Hmm. Well, let's start by the letter. Because uh, <laughs> we as a company, we said, okay, we, we, we really want to uh, have the best of knowledge uh, in the field of transportation. And I feel like in the US, you have this very, very deep-sensed responsibility of the different user groups and the different people. So what you're doing should be um, valuable for the different users you have of your system. So this idea of the equity effects of what you design, we didn't have, used to talk about it a lot. We talked more and more uh, of that, so it helps me hearing those discussions and the kind of evaluations uh, you're doing uh, for the different social incomes of different transportation groups in the U.S. So I think this is really a topic where we can learn a lot from the U.S. We learned a lot in the past from the U.S., like the traffic modeling. It's all coming out of the U.S. in the 70s, and we kind of took it uh, to the, this planning area. So uh, the origins are already there. When I look at the flip side, I think this whole idea of planning, not only planning your network, uh, your, your car network, your transportation network, your cycle network, but also plan it in a way how they interact and how it is physically possible to combine uh, the networks. I think this, this is a topic where... That's in our genes, kind of planning that and getting the best out of space. And I think, for example, the grid networks, to have a much stronger classification of the different elements of the grid, they kind of look alike, but it's definitely possible to define some elements of the grids more car-oriented than other elements of the same grid and make those other elements more people-friendly, people-oriented for cycle structures, walking, and have 
only destination traffic uh, for the direct environment. When I walk around, I feel there is a lot of fixed lightings. Every block you walk, if you walk or cycle, you, you have to stop because cars have priority over there. As, as a, a walker, you push the button and the button says, wait. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. You, <laughs> but, and you look around, you do, don't see any cars around. So you're really tempted to go uh, and don't stop at every block. I think with bicycles, it's the same. I think this traffic management system could be more sophisticated. Uh, it's it's not the most expensive part of the infrastructures, but it, in ordering there uh, a bit more and, and creating access where you have priority as a, as a cyclist and you're not prioritized as a car would create more attractive elements of your network as well. Well, a third element that comes in my mind is uh, the idea of offering choice to people. So I often say it's not the car we have to get from A to B, it's the driver, basically, we have to get from A to B. Mm -hmm. And some people prefer cars anyway, um, so we leave them. But other might prefer to pick the car only for the first part. Uh, for when you enter a city like New York, I can imagine you, uh, you're not uh, definitely want to go all the way. Um, in San Francisco, other cities, it's, uh, it's the same. So we're all people and we need to offer choices to people. I think thinking this way of offering choices and, and not talking too strongly about you are a driver or you are a biker. Uh, yes, you use a bike sometimes and you use a car sometimes. It's up to you and you choose what is for you the most comfortable alternative. Our guest on this episode of ITE Talks Transportation has been Bass Hovers. He's involved with international business development for Hodapple. Bass, thank you so much for being my guest on ITE Talks Transportation. Thank you.